Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Alan Amling online. Alan, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation, especially what's going on in the world right now. And mm-hmm. you know, that not to date this, you know, episode or anything like that, but I could probably make that statement anytime in the last few years and it could be very applicable. So mm-hmm. why don't you share a little bit with the audience about you and the awesome work you do? And obviously we're gonna talk about your book as well. Sure. Th- thank you. So, um, yeah, so, so my name is Alan Amling. Um, uh, I spent 27 years at uh, UPS in a variety of leadership roles in, in marketing strategy and uh, corporate venture capital. Um, and currently, I'm a distinguished fellow at the University of Tennessee Supply Chain Institute, uh, and then uh, doing some work on my LLC. And, uh, and that, that's where the, the, the book comes in. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you the, just what you led with, Michael. The, the, the truth is that businesses today have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. They have to be able to act in uncertainty, in an environment of uncertainty. And th- that is a challenge. Um, for companies that um, that want stability, the financial markets want stability. Um, but the the truth is that um, we, I do not expect that that's going to be the case moving forward. I think that um, the way businesses succeed is to thrive in disruption and understand how to operate. Um, in this uncertainty economy. Um, and so that's where, uh, you know, when I was at, at UPS, which I consider, you know, a very innovative company, you know, they've been around, shoot, over 110 years. Um, so they're doing something right, obviously. Um, but I felt the challenge of uh, creating new businesses, new revenue streams, which is a it's a different kind of innovation, right? These, uh, these sustaining innovations where you're uh, serving the same customers, uh, just better, quicker, faster, cheaper, um, is is something that most incumbent companies excel at because they're really good at execution, or they wouldn't have become big incumbent companies, right? Um, And as long as the market stays the same, uh, they're going to do very well. When the market context changes, uh, that's when the companies have to change or they lose step with their their customers. And and so, you know, I was, um, I had a very pivotal day at UPS. Um, one of those days where you, it's your head and hand um, slumping over the desk saying, okay, 
why isn't this working? What can we do better? And um, and I started to do research about why do why do companies have such a difficult time changing? Uh, you know, disruptive innovation is not new, right, Michael? I mean, we we we've, we've known about it for uh, shoot, it's over twenty five years old, and and we have all of these practical examples of disruption, but yet the Fortune 500 is turning over at a record pace. With all the books and all the seminars and all the consultants that want to help you succeed, it's still happening. And that's that was kind of the, the origin, the catalyst for uh, the beginning of my journey to figure out why. Why is such a huge question. And it's got so many layers in the answer depending on the organizations and what's and I and I agree with you I the answers are there for organizations to be able to thrive in challenging times and even prepare for those times so the next challenge whatever it may be um, they can adjust accordingly and utilize their resources that they have learn where they can find resources that they don't have and continue to serve their customers and grow and expand and, and, and pivot. But so many companies, it's right there and they just don't, they don't do it. They just don't do it. It's, it's like, you know, people that have never cooked before. And, you know, I used to be one of those people, you know, the recipe books there, the ingredients are in the fridge. If you can put two and two together, you're going to be able to follow the instructions and, and prepare the meal and it's going to turn out you know, hopefully decent as long as you're, you know, don't mix up the uh, ingredients and understand the difference between teaspoon and tablespoon. That's a big <laughs> difference depending on what that ingredient is. Some might be going, oh, wow, this has a little extra zest to it or to yeah. the point where um, it's going to take you a week before you can open your eyes and unpucker your lips. It really depends. We've all been there too. But organizations, they, I, it's, yeah, I don't know if it's a, and I'm sure in your research, you, know, you, you, you dig into it a little bit more, but sometimes I think it's this paralysis by analysis type of yeah. thing where they looked at too many things and then they're like, I don't know which door to pick. And it's like, well, pick one. Um, it's, it's easier to change direction if you're in motion, if you're standing still. You don't. And so it's, I think a lot of organizations just freeze. It's yeah. the amygdala in our brain going, okay, freeze. <laughs> and they, and they, and I always tell the amygdala to shut up because Amy G is my nickname for my amygdala. So I always tell, I always tell Amy to shut up because, because <laughs> she doesn't know what she's talking about. But, you know, most days, some days, yeah. yeah but, you know, for the most part, you know, eh, not really. But no, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, so it's, so it's interesting. So when I, when I started this journey, I, I said, I need to, if I'm going to find these answers, I need, I need to find them in a different place than I am now. And that's why I pursued, I did this crazy thing of pursuing a PhD later in life. But on that journey, as I'm trying to figure out, well, why is it that companies know about disruption, but yet it's happening anyway. Why is that? And and so I thought 
you know, if I'm going to pursue this, I'm going to at least try to get a hold of the person that coined the word disruptive innovation or the phrase disruptive innovation. So I called up Clayton Christensen. And um, it uh, it took a while to, to get to him. Um, but he responded uh, actually through his uh, chief of staff. They responded to me and said, you know, Clay would love to talk to you. And oh, my gosh. Well, that's fantastic. And so we, I, I reserved a conference room and uh, got him on the phone and told him what I wanted to do. And, and, and he said, well, maybe it would um, be of assist, assistance if I was on your dissertation committee. And I just about fell out of my chair. But it, that was the beginning of some, the, the greatest learning of, of my life. Um, and he had that impact on thousands of people. Um, uh, but uh, in one of the conversations, I was very animated and like I normally am. And he said, Alan, you have to understand that God didn't create data. And he paused and I'm a, a little perplexed. And he went on and he said, it would be of great service if you could help other executives like yourself understand that the greatest source of their future success is the data that has not been created yet. And I really didn't understand where he was going with that. And I thought about it and thought about it. And, and I thought about all of the five-year plans and 10-year plans that, you know, I worked on with dozens of people spending thousands and sometimes, you know, a million plus dollars in the planning for something that after you execute the first project in the first year, it sets off a series of unexpected events in the external environment that then impact what you do next. And so, we don't live in a static world. We have to, be, we are not playing chess. We are MMA fighters, right? We're, we, we need to be able to uh, not only plan, but react to how the uh, environment is changing. And, and that requires, and it, it sounds simple because you hear a lot of executives say, Oh, we're data driven, right? And you know, we've we're resilient, we're flexible, and all this stuff. And you found that you know, over the course of the pandemic, that was true with some and not true with most. Um, but what I tried to do is uncover, well, why is it? Why is it that um, organizations have such a hard time changing and? And it came down to, um, you know, after interviewing dozens of Fortune 500 leaders, digital company leaders, I talked to colonels and generals in the military, is that moving at the speed of change is a choice, not a circumstance. If you think it's a circumstance, if you think, oh, I have to move slow. I have to have multiple committees. I have to have this matrix structure 
in order to have control, um, you're going to miss the curve. And, and, and so in my research, what I did is I, I tried to peel back. So what are, what are the reasons, you know, not the superficial things like I could say, oh, you need to have a rapid learning paradigm and you need to do, you know, experiments and everyone knows that, right? Well, why is it that people don't do it? And, and what it comes down to is um, it comes down to a mindset. It comes down to a mindset of I am going to be uncomfortable being uncomfortable. I am going to create a continuous learning culture. And I don't, I am going to go on offense. And so it's one of the greatest things that I learned from studying the great military leaders and interviewing the corporates and generals in the military is that there is a, you get taught in business school that you need to create a moat around your offerings, right? You need to, you know, have offerings that are really hard to disrupt and you create these um, competitive barriers. And today with industry 4.0 technologies, those barriers are being spanned with increasing ease. You know, you think about just the whole idea of understanding your competitors in an industry well, what industry is Amazon in, right? Um, there's, there are companies that are organizing around the customer, not around the industry. And they're changing the way business is done. And, and we've seen this uh, in spades um, during the pandemic. Um, you know, you think, think about... Um, the way e-commerce operated pre-pandemic and the way it's operating now. Pre-pandemic, if you ordered something online, the vast majority came from these massive distribution centers out in rural America and, and then were, went through a multi-layer uh, system to be delivered to your front door. Now, Target is delivering over 90% of their uh, e-commerce orders originate at a store. Walmart has their own delivery service called Walmart Go Local. These retailers are taking control of their end-to-end -end supply chain, right? And, and so they could have done this a decade ago, but they didn't because they didn't have to. And so the, um, what, what you were saying earlier, earlier about companies having to really understand their capabilities, their assets, their resources, and how they, how they can be reconfigured to create new value. Um, that's exactly what the big retailers are doing. And we're seeing opportunities for this um, across industries, but it can't happen unless the mindset is right. 
And and so one of the things that I try to do in the in the book is is I peel these things back. I call them gold nuggets and truth bombs. Like the and the gold nuggets are these insights um, that that I learned along the way, such as um, so one of the gold nuggets is creating optionality is crucial for companies to thrive in a disruptive wor- world. So creating options. Um, a, um, a truth bomb would be humans tend to overestimate the short term and underestimate the long term, right? That's just a reality. But how many times do we do something and after the first failure, uh, you know, after the first time it doesn't work, the project is abandoned, where the best companies say, no, if it didn't work, it's not a, it's only a failure if I didn't learn something that then propels me to the next step, right? I had a um, Shaw Industries, uh, which is kind of known for carpet and now does everything, um, all kinds of uh, floor coverings, wood floors. One of their senior VPs said to me, um, the they were in a meeting and one of the uh, one of the VPs had to go up in front of uh, the senior executives with a mea culpa because they had a, a project that was losing money and was not working. And his quote was just perfect. It was, okay, we've paid the tuition. Now, what did we learn? And that is when we talk about organizational velocity and the mindset. That's the mindset of a winner. That's... You know, another example, Elon Musk, love him, hate him. He is an organizational velocity leader. When his rocket crashed uh, upon landing, I remember that happened, I think it was about a year and a half ago, two years ago, um, lost millions of dollars. He tweets, excellent job. We learned this, that, and the other thing. And then lo and behold, about a year, year and a half later, he sent a crew of people, none of them astronauts, around the world three times and landed them safely on Earth um, from what he learned from that failure. And so um, that's that's what I'm trying to um, uncover. That's what I tried to uncover in, in my research and bring to life and stories and examples in the book. So many nuggets there. And, you know, Elon Musk, I'm one of those individuals that thinks that history will have initially underestimated the impact that he has had on our planet now and in, in the future, and maybe not even just our planet, you right. know, the Mars situation and moon and everywhere else. Uh, and even, you know, the stuff that he did with getting his satellite internet uh, set up in the Ukraine within, oh, you know, yeah. a day, a right. day. You know, right. I, you know I, I used to work in IT a long time ago in, in data and, and, you know, getting a network up and running 
in a day. Yeah, if the infrastructure was there, if not, you're calling 18 different vendors, you're coordinating the installation, you get the vendors pointing fingers at each other saying, no, it's their fault. And you end up yelling at both of them saying, I don't care, no one's going home until it's done kind of attitude. Um, that's when the not so mi- nice Mike shows up, which doesn't happen often, but occasionally he, <laughs> he comes in. I, I blame my ancestors for that uh, uh, little bit of uh, hot-headedness because uh, I've seen it in my you know my dad and you know, grandparents and whatnot, but um, but usually it wasn't directed at me because I was smarter than that um, <laughs> most days. But I, I think you know, there's a, a quote um, or a statement. I, I think John Maxwell said it, and if I'm wrong, I, I apologize. But you know, he has something about you know failing forward, and everyone is so deathly afraid of failing that they they kind of water down their attempts and. Even when an organization is implementing a change initiative, which, you know, for many of them may be huge, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you look at it, it's like, it's not that big of a deal. But, you know, for some people, it's gigantic to them. So they don't go all in. They hold a little bit back. And yeah, if you're going to do that, then yeah, the, the likelihood of it being successful out of the gate is going to be impacted. So they'll, they'll be the first one to say, see, it didn't work. It's like... We haven't given it a week yet. It's, right. it's like people are working with other people for the first time, and they're and it's a dramatic change from the person they dealt with before. It's going to take some time for everybody to figure out who's doing what and how. And oh, okay, well, look, there's a, a lack of procedures in this area. Well, guess what we're going to do? We're going to have some procedures written, and in a day, those procedures were written. And I, you know, I, I was an organization I helped out, and one of the things we did was like, okay, who's got hands in all of this? So this particular procedure, who t- who touches it uh, during whatever time? And I said, okay, these are the names. Okay, I'm, we're going to talk with all of them. And they're all going to look at it and they're all going to sign off on it. So basically at that point, when the procedure was implemented, they looked at it, it's like, well, it's great to finally have that documented because each of them have some of it in their head, but right. there wasn't anything clear cut for everybody was on the same page. As soon as we did that, all of a sudden, the temperature of the room dropped because everyone went, oh, okay, that makes sense. And we just started doing that. Next thing you know, we're more efficient than we were before. It's documented what we do. So anybody could come in afterward and pick up and go, okay, this is how it flows. Mm -hmm. Maybe they'll see another opportunity where, so, you know, if we did it this way, it'd be better. Hallelujah. Congratulations. You know, Mm -hmm. you're breaking, you're breaking your procedure. Awesome. You know, and it's when organizations have that mindset, I'm glad that you hammer home on the mindset side of things. When they have the mindset, then they have the mindset, in my experience anyway, and I'm sure in yours too, that they will be able to adapt at pretty much anything that's thrown at them, whether it's a pandemic, supply chain issues, the great resignation, war in Europe, whatever the situation may be, they'll be able to adapt and do what they need to do to continue and to grow and, and get through things. Yeah, that's 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 so right. And you know, one of the, you know, one of the things that I that I found in talking to to, you know, dozens and dozens of leaders is that some of the things that are happening in their organization that creates friction, that that makes it very hard for them to move at the speed of change, they don't even realize, right? They're they're hidden. They're 
there, there are things that you wouldn't think about. Like, um, I'll give you one example. Um, uh, spending authority. So if, if you're giving your leaders, you know, a very tight leash in terms of spending authority, it has a ripple effect in decision-making because if a leader has a very, in one or in organization A has a very uh, small spending authority or light spending authority for their responsibility and organizational B, it's much higher. Organization B is going to be able to just move much quicker because organization A is going to have to likely go through some kind of committee, right? To, to get approval, sometimes more than one committee. And like one of the, one of the things that I can tell you is if you, in your organization, if you have anything called a pre-committee, you're a dinosaur, uh, right? And it's that sounds funny, but I, it's based in reality. There are companies that have that, and um, and so you know, speaking of committees, the other thing about committees that uh, I I found that was that was you know just troubling is that whether it's an innovation or like a capital improvement project. Most companies tend to send those through the same process. And if it's a capital improvement process, you know, you can have a, a, a group of decision makers uh, that can achieve consensus and make a really good decision about that. If it's an innovation project, if everyone in the room agrees, the only thing that you know for certain is that your project is not innovative. Right. You have to it's 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 about it's about, you know, learning what is not known and and then acting on it and acting on it with a sense of urgency. You know, you mentioned, um, you know, uh, about Elon Musk and how quickly he moves and how quickly he put a satellite up. You know, he has a company called the Boring Company and um, the, you know, legend has it when he. He was with a, uh, a group of leaders in Palo Alto, and they said, hey, we have our prototype ready. It's out in the parking lot. And, um, and Elon Musk said, okay, well, let's, let's uh, test it, clear the parking lot. And, and they said, well, I, I don't think we can do that quickly. He said, okay, you've got until 5 o'clock to clear the parking lot. And he tested it right there in the parking lot. Um, most companies would, it would go to a committee or it would go to, you know, you would go through some multiple layers before you got to that test. And that's where, you know, the, the companies that are moving with organizational velocity that are um, um, observing, accepting, and acting, which is this iterative process, right? And, and companies are really good at observation, especially big companies. It's not that they don't know that the change is happening. What I found is in the acceptance stage, which is where all the bureaucracy and the internal politics slow things down. That's where 
you know, the sand gets thrown in the gears of organizational velocity. Either either the companies don't act fast enough, they don't act with um, enough resources, or it just never gets, you know, it just never gets uh, through. And um, and so it, in that acceptance stage, you know, the best companies are have an idea and have a process to go out and actually test it, make a small bet, you know, not make big bets, but anything that impacts human behavior, you cannot predict. And so you have to get it out there. And, and, the, and the best companies that, that I, I talk to will have an idea and will actually do multiple simultaneous pilots. And um, I heard, heard one executive, which I, I love this quote, say, I, w- I want to see a, a $50,000 truth before you come to me with a $50 million project. Um, and, and that's kind of the philosophy of, um, you know, test, learn, test, learn, and expecting that a lot of those tests are, are going to uh, be unsuccessful, but you need to learn from it. And then, and then iterate, and and go to go to the uh, you know, to the next iteration of that project, and um, and then you get to act. And um, and most companies are pretty good at acting. Um, that's you know at executing, um, but uh, but there are challenges there as well. And so I, in the book, I'm kind of peeling back all all of these things and giving companies kind of a pragmatic path forward um, from, you know, I look at it from two lenses. Yes, I'm an academic now, um, but, you know, I'm not, not bashing academia, but there is a difference between what theoretically should happen and what actually does happen. Um, and I have the visceral understanding of being in the room when those decisions are made. And I understand that um, dysfunction and how it can happen. Um, And so I bring all of that to life in this uh, book in hopes that it helps companies navigate their way through this uncertainty and, and disruption to, you know, not only for the success of the company, but I really... Um, I think about all of the managers and frontline employees that these decisions that the senior level people make impacts. And one of the biggest, one of the biggest lies in the corporate world is that it's not, it's just business. It's not personal. And I've never, I've never agreed with that because the yes, there are things that you have to do for the survival of the business, and yes, they may negatively impact employees. But don't fool yourself that it's not personal. It is very personal to the people that it impacts. And um, and at the end of the day, my motivation for taking all that I learned, packing it into this book, is that. Um, perhaps this can help a few organizations. And if it just helps a few leaders, 
it's going to help thousands of people. And I'm going to call that a win. It's definitely a win and this book has been needed for a very long time. So Alan, thank you so much for being on the show. Could probably talk for a few hours on this, but uh, <laughs> uh, I really appreciate your time today. So where can people can find out more about you, the book and everything else you're doing? So uh, the, the best pay- place to find out what I'm doing is at uh, alanamling.com. And the uh, book is available right now for pre-order on uh, Amazon and will be released on March 16th. Well, congratulations with that. So again, Alan, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate you and uh, all the continued success for all this amazing work you're doing. All right. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.